Thanks, Rick. So good to see all of you again. Uh, yeah, last time I was here was uh, in the fall of 20, and we were all masked up. So it's so good to be able to see all of your uh, smiling, shining faces here today. Uh, yeah, um, Rick gave all the titles about my educational stuff at the seminary. Uh, basically, uh, I'm a pastor who masquerades as a seminary professor, and so I just love church world. I've been uh, on the staff of uh, four different churches over the course of my life, and I I loved every moment of that, and so just uh, such a privilege for me to be here with all of you today at Redemption Parker. Um, Normally what I do is um, I'll read the scripture that we're going to look at, and then I'll pray But uh, Rick already prayed a great prayer, and I'm sure that the Lord is here with us. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the scripture, and I think it'll be up here on the screen behind me. And uh, we're going to read this together, and then we're just going to go into the message from this text. It comes from Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. This is God's word to you and to me, so... Let's pay close attention. Matthew said that leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus didn't answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Does anyone here beside me think that Jesus seems to be a little bit rude to this woman? I mean, maybe even a little bit misogynistic, a little bit racist, in fact, mean? I have to admit that for years, whenever I read this particular episode in the life of Jesus, it really, really bothered me because it seemed so inconsistent with all the other facets of his life and how he normally responded to other people, especially really sinful people, people like tax collectors, prostitutes. But over the last couple of years, I've been helped in my study of this text by some Great scholars and teachers such as Ken Bailey and John Ortberg and Dale Bruner. And now it's become one of my all-time favorite stories 
about Jesus and his encounters with different people. Uh, Let me try to explain what's going on in this text and why I like it so much. Now, as you know, Jesus was a master teacher, and as a teacher, he knew that sometimes you lecture and sometimes you model, and sometimes you give your students experiences in order to help them grow. And Jesus was an expert at what some educators have called deliberately induced frustration. I mean, at certain times he tells his disciples to feed the crowds and they have no food. On other occasions, he tells them to get in the boat, even though he knows that a huge storm is coming, that they don't have the ability to navigate. He tells them to cast out demons. They don't have the ability to do that. Jesus regularly used deliberately induced frustration to probe his disciples to find out where they were on the spiritual growth chart. That's part of what he's doing here, but that's not all that he's doing here. As you know, teachers also like to give tests on a consistent basis, and Jesus did that as well. A moment ago, I mentioned Ken Bailey, who was one of the finest New Testament scholars of the past generation. He says that in order for you and me to grasp the point of this encounter between Jesus and this Canaanite woman, we must understand that Jesus is giving two sets of tests to two different groups of people. First, he's testing the woman. But secondly, he's testing the disciples. Now, as we walk through this test, we're going to see that the test that the woman gets is different than the test that the disciples get. So, as we walk through the story, what we want to try to determine is who aces their test and who gets an incomplete. Who passes and who doesn't do so well. And most important of all, friends... We want to see what these tests have to teach you and me as the followers of Jesus in this third decade of the 21st century. Now, to discern all that, we first need to understand the background to this particular encounter. Uh, This story takes place in the region of Tyre and Sidon. Those were two Phoenician cities located to the northwest of Israel, on the Mediterranean coast. It's quite a ways north of Galilee where Jesus hung out most of the time. And the Jews absolutely despised the people who lived in Tyre and Sidon. Uh, Josephus, Josephus, excuse me, Josephus, the first century Jewish historian who lived about the same time as Jesus, wrote that the people of Tyre and Sidon are our bitterest enemies. Well, if you follow the news today, you know that that's how a lot of Israelis feel today about Palestinians. Uh, To see how badly the Jews of the ancient world regarded the people of this region, we only need to remember Jesus' words of judgment in Matthew 11, 20. There he told the Jews of the cities of Capernaum and Chorazin and Bethsaida, 
that if the miracles he had done in their cities had been performed up there in Tyre and Sidon amongst those Gentiles, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Essentially, he was telling the Jews, even the most wicked people you know, the bottom of the moral and spiritual barrel, people who sacrificed their children to the fires of their gods and goddesses, those people would have repented if they had seen what I had done. Uh, The point is that the disciples... As good young Jewish men would have automatically regarded this woman as their enemy. They would have viewed her as a member of the most spiritually degraded, morally reprobate group of people they knew. Her people were outcast in their eyes. And so she is as well. But notice in this story how she approaches Jesus. In verse 22, she comes with the traditional cry of a beggar. Have mercy on me. And she adds the title Lord to her petition. Now, that could mean sir or master as well as Lord in the divine sense. But the fact is, she repeats it two more times in the story. And she calls Jesus the son of David which is a term that was used for the Messiah. So it's clear that she knows something about Judaism. She's very humble. She's deeply respectful. She's willing to cross some ethnic and gender boundaries that simply were not crossed in her day. Now look again at verse 23. Jesus did not answer a word. I mean, her daughter is suffering terribly. So she appeals to Jesus with humility and reverence and intelligence. And he acts like he doesn't hear. He responds with silence. And what appears to be indifference. And maybe even rejection. And you just know, you just know that had to feel really, really bad to her. Friends, let's notice Matthew, who was there at this incident, he does not try to hide that. He deliberately draws attention to it here in the text because he wants us to grapple with what Jesus is up to here. Jesus is given a test. And tests are not always pleasant to the ones being tested. Now, throughout most of my adult life, I've been involved in education in one sort or another. So I like stories about education and teachers and tests. They're fun to me. And one of my favorite school stories is about this young guy who was in Southern California. And he was taking a summer school class in ornithology, which is the study of birds. Well, the professor in the class was known to be really, really tough. I mean, he had a reputation that, uh, you know, he was just really, really difficult. So the final exam's coming up, and the guy studies his brains out. Well, he comes into the room feeling really, really well prepared. But instead of a normal multiple choice or true-false exam, on the wall around the room are 25 pictures 
of different birds' feet. He's supposed to identify the bird by their feet. Well, the kid goes nuts. Tells the teacher, this is crazy. Nobody could pass this test. Teacher says, well, too bad for you. You got to take it. Kid says, I am not going to take this test. And the teacher says, well, you got to take it or you're going to fail. And the kid says, well, you go ahead and fail me, but I'm not taking this test. Well, by this time, the professor, the teacher gets really amped up and he says, all right, that's it. You failed. What's your name? And the kid stands up, kicks off his sandals, points at his feet and says, you tell me. It's clear that Jesus is given this woman a really tough test. She's got a decision to make in the face of his silence. How deeply do I want healing for my daughter? How far am I willing to go to get his help? How much do I really trust this Jewish rabbi? But what we need to know is that Jesus is also testing the disciples over here. See, they're really not that surprised about Jesus' silence in the face of a request because they were good Jewish boys. They knew that no rabbi talked to a woman, let alone a pagan woman, from Tyre and Sidon. They were all really, really familiar with the ancient rabbinic saying that said, he that talks with womankind brings evil on himself, neglects the study of the law, and at last will inherit Gehenna, which is hell. So the disciples really aren't taken back that Jesus seems to ignore her. But what they don't get is he's also testing them. Do they understand his heart for everybody? Including Gentiles and women? Do they understand what he's really about? Well, verse 23 indicates that they respond pretty strongly. Send her away for she keeps crying out after us. John Ortberg makes the wonderful insight in his exposition of this text that their response here is really pretty grandiose. I mean, she hasn't said anything to them. She comes to Jesus. But they very, very extravagantly include themselves in Jesus' power and his ministry. She's bothering us. They always need us. Everybody wants a piece of us. Send her away from us. I mean, they're the disciples. They're the ones in the know. They're the ones who are connected to Jesus. They're the inner circle. They want to put a wall up around him and keep everybody else, especially people like her, out. Human beings are pretty good about building walls, aren't we? And I'm not talking about building walls for border security for your country. We're talking about relational walls. We're all pretty good about building walls against other people. I mean, in the backseat of crowded cars. This might have happened to you as you came to church this morning. One kid says to the other, you better not cross this line or I'm going to tell mom. 
On occasion, walls get built between husbands and wives, don't they? If you've been in the marketplace, you know that sometimes walls get built between co-workers. We all know this. Walls get built between races and cultures and nations. All you have to do is turn on the nightly news and you see that. Friends, let me ask us this, and you need to know I'm asking myself this as well. Are we building walls towards other people or are we inviting them into relationship with us? Now, I'm a guest here. I get that. You get that. But let me ask this question of those of us at Redemption Parker. Are we building walls in the church family here at Redemption Parker or are we building relationships, especially, especially, especially with new people when they come into this building and through those doors. See, as we look at this story in Matthew 15, it's clear that there's this huge, huge wall between these self-important disciples and this Canaanite woman. And so Jesus goes on. And he gives part two of his tests to both the disciples and the woman. Look at verse 24. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Now you read that, and if you've read Jesus in other portions of the gospel, it raises the question, why does he say this? I mean, in so many other occasions on both word and deed, it's clear that he's not willing for any to perish that he's willing to minister to everybody. In fact, at one point, Jesus said that many would come from the east and the west and they would sit down and dine with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of God. And the east and the the west, that's code for Gentiles. So why does he say this now? When in fact, he responds to the woman's request later on. Well, he's giving the disciples an experiential test. See, he could lecture them about the value of every human being, and he could remind them about the necessity of helping people out when they come to you with a need. But in this case, what he wants them to do is he wants them to empathize with her, to feel her pain, to see her need. To hear her cry as she watches her little girl scream in agony. And even though it appears by Jesus' statement here in verse 24 that he agrees with the disciples, notice this. He doesn't send her away. He wants to know if any of the disciples will agree, would at this point disagree with him and what he's doing here. He wants to know if any of them will say, Hey, Jesus, remember that sermon that you like to preach all the time where you tell us to love our enemies? What about that, Jesus? Or, Jesus, um, her little girl is in huge agony. Yeah, we, we know she's a Gentile. We know she's a Canaanite. We know we're not supposed to hang around her. But, Jesus, couldn't you make an exception on this occasion? 
Jesus wants to know, do any of you guys have the guts to stand up for this woman and her little girl? A little bit over 10 years ago, I was asked to serve on the Denver City and County Grand Jury Panel B. So every other Wednesday for an entire year, along with 15 of my co-citizens from the city and county of Denver, we went downtown to the city and county building and we went down into the basement and we went into this room. And along with the Denver District Attorney's Office, we investigated all kinds of criminal activity, all the way from petty thief to gang murders and everything in between. Early on, one of the cases that we investigated was the death of a two-year-old little girl by the name of Alizé Rygard. And she had been beaten to death over a two-year period by her mother and her mother's boyfriend. Well, there were lots of people around her that saw that happening. And the DA subpoenaed them all to come in and testify. And every single one of them lied under oath that they hadn't seen anything except the one cousin who reported this to social services. But they all lied and said they never saw a thing. No one would stand up for that poor little girl. And at this point, at this point at least, the disciples aren't going to stand up for the Canaanite woman and her daughter. But friends, we also need to know that at the exact same time that Jesus is testing the disciples, he's also giving the woman part two of her test. I mean, she just heard him say, hey, you're an outsider. I'm the son of David, and I was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You're not part of my mission. You're not on my strategic plan. You're not on my list of goals and objectives and people to be ministered to this year. So why should I bother to help you? Once again, this is a test question for her. Is her concern for her daughter so deep? Her conviction about Jesus' compassion and his power so strong that she'll persevere in her petition even when it looks like he's giving her the stiff arm? Now, friends, note this. Note what she does. Verse 25, she came and knelt before him and she utters a single phrase, the cry deep within her heart, Lord, Lord, help me. Now, remember, 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 the disciples are right there. They are right there and they're watching this whole thing. And the tension starts to build in them because their theology, what they've been taught since they were little tiny boys, tells them that this woman is to be shunned She is to be turned away. She is not to be helped. And yet you just know, you just know something inside of them had to be touched. Something inside of them had to be moving just a little bit. I mean, this is the desperate cry of a mother whose little girl's in emotional and spiritual and physical agony. And I'm wondering, I'm just wondering if they were over here thinking... Could it be, is it possible that God 
is bigger than the theology we were taught? So Jesus goes on and he leans into the test he's giving them. He gives voice to the theology that they were raised with. Look at verse 26. It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now the meaning of this statement is crystal clear. The children were the Israelites, the Jews, the disciples. The dogs were Gentiles, like this woman and her daughter. See, in the ancient Near East, dogs were despised animals. They were scavengers and garbage eaters. They were considered almost as unclean as pigs. But that's not true in our culture, is it? It's not true in our culture. Yeah, see, this is what we do with dogs. We humanize them. We anthropomize them. I mean, I got to tell you the truth. I love dogs. I've always loved dogs. My wife and I have a Rhodesian Ridgeback, and he's been something to work with. I love the dog. You probably like or love dogs. Yeah, I don't know if you heard that story. This was about a year and a half ago about that German shepherd that accidentally it was supposed to go from one part of California to another part of California and they put it in the cargo hold of a plane that went from San Francisco to Tokyo? Well, it was a disaster. So the airline, in order to make the people happy, shipped the dog back from Tokyo back to San Francisco and it rode first class. (laughs) That's how we treat dogs in our culture. But in ancient Jewish society, in ancient Jewish culture, in the ancient Jewish home, the ancient Jewish synagogue, even in the ancient Jewish village, there was nowhere respectable for a dog. See, in effect, here's what Jesus is saying to the disciples, in effect. He's saying, you want me to get rid of her? You want me to limit my ministry just to Israel? Okay, we can do that. I can do that. But then guess what, gentlemen? You get to stand over here and you get to watch her scream in agony. You get to watch that. And the reason why? You think she's just a dog. You think her daughter's just a dog. See, Jesus is using some pretty harsh language here about dogs to force the disciples to face themselves. He's giving voice to what in the back of their minds in some ways they're really thinking or feeling privately. See, it's one thing, isn't it, to say something about somebody else behind their back? You've done that. I've done that. We've all done that. But it's something totally else to tell somebody their face exactly what you think of them, especially if what you think is ugly and especially if that person's in need. See, Jesus has given the disciples the relationship test. He wants to know, gentlemen, will any of you stand up for her? Will any of you reach out to her? Will any of you cross those boundaries to show her some love? 
And the answer is, no. None of them will. And that's the end of their test. See, they're going to get an incomplete on their report card today. There are going to be other tests coming down the road, and they'll do better. It's going to take time. They're still learning. But today, they didn't do too well. I think Jesus is probably giving some of us in this room this morning the same test that he gave the disciples. It's the relationship test. Somebody in our life that we're having a hard time offering genuine, authentic, Christ-like love for. It might be somebody that we work with. Or maybe it's one of our kids. Maybe it's an in-law. Maybe it's even our spouse. Or maybe it's somebody here at Redemption Parker. Or maybe, 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 like the disciples, it involves a whole group of people that we have problems with. Maybe gay people. African-American people. Hispanic people. Poor people. Friends, Jesus gives all of us, you and me, the relationship test on a pretty regular basis. And he wants us to pass it by showing other people love. And so when another person comes into our life that isn't particularly friendly or cool or neat and clean, and we're faced with the choice to ignore them, snub them, or love them, we always want to do what we can by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit to reach out to them in love. And we might need to pray, Lord, I don't like this guy. I don't like her. But Lord, by your grace, by your power, by your spirit, will you help me speak with compassion and truth? Will you help me treat them with dignity and respect? Lord, they have a need. Will you help me use some of my resources to meet their need? That's the will of God. That's the way of Christ. Jesus wants us all to get an A on the relationship test by showing other people love. But Jesus is also looking for followers who can complete another test. And this one takes us back to the woman. I mean, there in verse 26, when Jesus talks about giving the children's bread to the dogs, there's something very interesting that we only see in the original text. In the Greek, there are two words that could be used for dogs. And it's significant that here, Jesus uses the softer, the diminutive word, meaning little doggy or little puppy. He's not talking about attack dogs or Doberman pinchers. He's talking about vulnerable, tiny little pups. And he does that for her sake. And now she faces the hardest part of her exam. Will she run away? Will she give it up? Or will she even insult Jesus back? Or is her love for her daughter so deep, her trust in Jesus so strong, her faith in his compassion so awesome that she won't give up? Her response here is just amazing. Look again at verse 27. 
Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. I mean, for the third time she speaks to him, and for the third time she calls him Lord. And even now, without getting what she wants, he's still her Lord. And we need to understand the tone and the flavor of her response because it's actually really pretty, pretty amazing. She picks up on Jesus' use of the word doggy or puppy, and then she adds that emphasis in her reply about crumbs. Literally, in the original text, it reads, Yes, Lord, but even the little dogettes get the little crumbettes from their master's table. I mean, she's coming back at Jesus with some grit and some grace, even some wit. I mean, there's an element of playfulness here, almost like she's verbally sparring with him. It's almost like she's got some attitude going with Jesus. All right, Jesus, go ahead, by all means. By all means, feed the kids. But I'll bet you have a little few crumbettes left for me and my daughter. My wife, Melanie, has a cousin named Lauren, and Lauren and her husband, Rob, we, we all get along well, and we spend time together and everything, and they're just great people. They're also massive athletes. A few years ago, <laughs> they did an Ironman competition. Some of you, maybe like Rick, have done one of these. I mean, it blows my mind. But you have to bike 50 miles You've got to swim five miles, and then you have to run a marathon 26 miles. i got to be honest with you. That's my definition of hell, you know. <laughs> but Rob and Lauren wanted to do this, and they trained, and they trained, and they trained, and so the day came, and Rob did pretty well. I mean, he finished pretty soon, but Lauren really, really, really struggled, especially when it got to the last 10 miles of the 26 miles and it was dark and she had to get in under a certain time and she was just dragging, dragging, dragging. But she was committed to making it across the finish line and under the required time and she did. She wouldn't quit. This little Canaanite woman from Tyre and Sidon is just like that. She won't give up. See, friends, she's facing the endurance test. The disciples face the relationship test. She gets the endurance test. And some of you here this morning are facing the endurance test as well. Something's going on in your life. It's really, really difficult. And you don't know if you're ever going to find relief. But, you know, it's not just that. It's also when you pray. It's also when you kneel. It's also when you come here to church and you beg the Lord. You don't understand his response or lack thereof. It's like he's silent. It's like he's indifferent. In all honesty, it's almost like he's a little bit rude. And the question is, will you keep the faith? Will you grow in faith? Will you pass the endurance test with your faith? One of my favorite Christians in church history was the great evangelist John Wesley. Wesley lived in 18th century England and 
We look back on him now as this great Christian, this great preacher, this great leader, and he was. But in his day and his time, Wesley was oftentimes really, really, really hated. He faced the endurance test a lot. Just to show you this, let me quote from his journal. Sunday, May 6th. I preached at St. Lawrence's in the morning and afterwards at St. Catherine Cree's Church. I was enabled to speak strong words at both and was informed that I was not to preach anymore in either of those churches. Uh, Sunday, May 13th, I preached in the morning at St. Anne's and in the afternoon at Savoy Chapel. I preached free salvation by faith in the blood of Jesus. I was quickly apprised that likewise I am to preach no more in either church. Sunday, May 20th, I preached at St. John's Wapping at 3 in the afternoon and at St. Bennett Paul's Wharf in the evening. At these churches, likewise, I am to preach never again. Sunday, May 27th, I preached at St. Antholin's in the morning and was told never to return. In the evening, I preached at Bath in a field but was chased out by a bull let loose by an angry farmer. Sunday, June 3rd, in the morning, I preached near St. Isaac's but was accosted and challenged by a man named Nash who told me I was violating an act of parliament. Sunday, June 10th, I declared to 10,000 in Moorfields what they must do to be saved. I again insisted on that foundation of our hope, believe in the Lord Jesus and thou shalt be saved. Hundreds were touched by the grace of God and prayed to receive the Savior. Some of you in here this morning are facing the endurance test. Some of us in here will probably face it in the future. And the question is, will we keep going in faith even when we don't get relief and we don't know why it seems like God isn't answering? When it feels like that heaven is shut against us, will we keep knocking and saying, Lord, please hear me, meet my need? Will we keep going like this Canaanite woman with grit and grace and even wit and live by faith that God will meet our need? You know, the Canaanite woman in this story not only amazed Jesus, she blew the disciples away in terms of spiritual commitment. I mean, they've never seen anybody with such confidence in the Lord and demonstrate such all-out, pedal-to-the-metal, risk-taking faith. I mean, when she first approaches Jesus, they thought that they were watching their inferior, the bottom of the spiritual barrel, a dog that they'd never let into their circle of relationship. But as we've seen, it turns out that she's relating to Jesus on a level of humility and reverence and faith that at this point, they can't quite achieve. And so Jesus looks her in the eye. The mask comes off. The test is over. It's time for the grade to be given. He says in verse 28, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. The word that's used for great here comes to the Greek word mega. We use it for mega stars and mega churches and mega malls. She had mega faith. 
this poor pagan Canaanite woman who everybody thought was the least and the last and the lost. She's honored by the one before whom she knelt and called Lord and who she would not let go of. She got an A on the endurance exam. So friends, let me ask you, are you getting the relationship test today? Then respond with love. Are you getting the endurance test today? Then respond in faith. The tests are going to come. They are going to come. You and I can count on that. And when they do, if it's the relationship test, step out in love. If it's the endurance test, step up in faith. May the Lord give us all His grace, His power, His Spirit to respond in love and respond in faith and pass those tests.